good morning. It's so good to see you all here this morning. If you are a visitor or a regular member or a tender, uh, my name is Pastor Jonathan, and I am so grateful that you have joined us today. I want you to know that you are welcome here, and I am so grateful that you are here today. Now, I wonder, in your lifetime, have you ever seen someone do a complete 180 with their attitude? I remember one time when I was playing high school football, uh, and there were two-a-days going around this time of year, maybe a little bit earlier in the hot, humid days of Louisiana, and there were many days that were filled with adversity. I was reminded of this this past week when I saw a buddy from high school post a picture from those days uh, on Facebook and was remembering those two-a-days, and he just happened to be the first-string offensive tackle who started ahead of me. Uh, now, I am not all that tall. I'm a pretty short guy, pretty short and wide, you know, uh, deep and wide. Uh, however, this guy, when he was a junior in high school, he had had a growth spurt uh, from his sophomore year, and he had stretched this way as well as this way. And as a junior, he now found himself at six foot five and 290 pounds. I mean, this guy was a beast. I had no hope of ever being first string tackle ahead of this guy, right? Like he was, that was his position. But mentally, his junior year, I remember during those two-a-days during our junior year, he often would act like he was much shorter than me and like he only weighed half my weight. See, his mentality had not yet caught up with his physical growth from his freshman year all the way to his junior year. So as an effect, he had many days of adversity during those two-a-days. He struggled with the game, and the game was hard with him. And we could all look and see how uh, physically uh, talented he was, and he just needed to make that mental flip. And so we would gather around him like football players often do in high school and encourage him by making fun of him, right? Like trying to encourage him in that way. But however, something crazy happened. When we played our first scrimmage our junior year of high school, this guy finally realized just how big he had gotten. The game was easy for him, and the people across the football from him were a lot smaller than him. He had realized how much bigger he had, he had gotten. And so he did a complete 180 with his attitude. See, he went from being a victim of his circumstances to being a victor because of who he had become. Today, looking at Psalm chapter 6, I believe that God will show us all through his word how we can all go from being a victim to being a victor through our seasons of adversity. Now here at Mission Dorado, we simply want to preach God's word. I don't seek to preach my opinion, but my heart is simply to explain what God's word says, what it means, and then ask how we can apply it to our lives week in and week out. And during the summer, we've been taking a break from the book of Romans looking at the book of Psalms, and we've got just a few weeks left in the book of Psalms. And last week we looked at Psalm chapter 5, and we discovered how beginning each day with God allows us to remember who God is and determine that we will take refuge in Him. This week we'll look at Psalm 6, and we'll discover how we can have victory in Jesus Christ regardless of our circumstances. So today, if you have a copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you, just open it right up in the middle, turn to Psalm chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, that is okay. There should be one in front of the seat in front of you that you can take out and turn to Psalm chapter 6. Psalm chapter 6. Listen as I read Psalm chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. It says this, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord. 
for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief, and it grows weak because of all of my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Now, before we jump into the verse-by-verse study of this psalm, uh, let's get a little background. We see from the superscript that this is a psalm of David, and it was written for the director of music with stringed instruments. And traditionally, this is believed, again, to be a continuation of Psalm chapter 3 and the circumstances there that we saw four weeks ago. Uh, Psalm 6 is the evening prayer following this hardship and adversity that David has seen in Psalm 3. And it's caused a separation between David and God and caused him to feel distant from God. Now, we don't know exactly the sin struggle uh, that David was facing here specifically, but we have some speculation due to this this psalm's proximity and connection with Psalm chapter 3. Now, remember what was going on in Psalm chapter 3. David's son Absalom was steaming hot mad about what had happened to his sister Tamar. And his half-brother had violated his sister Tamar. So Absalom is steaming hot mad about David's lack of doing something in the situation. So Absalom takes everything in his own hands. He goes and he murders his half-brother who did this thing to his sister. And now he's coming after David's throne in the form of insurrection. So in David 3, Psalm, I mean in Psalm 3, David has fled Jerusalem and he's surrounded by many enemies. So some have speculated that possibly the sin that David is struggling with in this text that leads to his dark days is something, has something to do with how he has mishandled the situation with Absalom and Tamar and their half-brother there. So Psalm 6 shows us the adversity that David finds himself in and how he goes from being a victim to being a victor. So knowing this background, what does David say in Psalm chapter 6 about how to get to the other side of adversity? Well, beginning, let's look at David's plea to God in verses 1 through 5. It says this, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. It's Sheol who will give you praise. David begins right here in verses 1 through 5 with a plea to God. And I just love David's honesty in these five verses. Like he's not holding anything back in these first five verses. I wonder if you've ever just been at the end of your rope. Like you don't have time for pleasantries before God. You're just like, God, here I am, and I'm in need of your help. Psalm 6 shows us that it's okay to come to God in this way, to begin with where we are and to be honest with God. See, God already knows all of our struggles, so we can be honest about them all with him. 
David begins here. Notice he doesn't begin with the attitude of, I've done nothing wrong, so why are these, th- these bad things happening to me? No, David's attitude is this, and he, he knows, hey, I'm a sinner. And like, I've messed up. Like, I know I've done things that are wrong against God. And we don't know the specific sin of David's here, but we know that David sinned tremendously through his life, don't we? We know that David is feeling the weight right here of his sinfulness. But notice David never says, hey, God, don't correct me or don't train me. No, a wise person welcomes training. They welcome correction. But David simply prays, in your correction, in your discipline, please don't regard me or rebuke me out of your anger like those who are the wicked and who are under your judgment. I think all of us in our lives know the difference between discipline that's done in anger and discipline that is done in self-control and loving, right? And I use this example often, but it's a good thing for me to discipline my child by removing them from harmful situations. I use this example often. Like, I have a three-year-old. If he's playing out in the middle of a busy street at 5 p.m. and he's out there playing, it is good for me to restrain and remove him from that situation. That is a loving thing to do. He may say, he may not understand why I am restraining him and why I am removing him from that situation, but I'm doing it because I love him and I want to keep him from getting hurt. There's also discipline that's done out of anger. And when humans do that, it's sinful. However, God alone is good. And God's anger is righteous because he is holy and he is righteous. So his anger towards those who are wicked, those who are blaspheming his name, those who are saying that he is not holy, who are not proclaiming his goodness, that is a righteous anger. So David says right here, hey, God, I know I'm not perfect. Like, I know I've messed up. I know I've sinned, but please don't regard me as the wicked. Please don't rebuke me or discipline me in your anger and wrath. Because David says, hey, I know who I am. I know I'm a sinner that has messed up, but I also know who you are. You're God and you are holy and you are set apart and you are completely righteous and you are completely good. So please don't regard me as someone who doesn't know that you are good. Would you have mercy on me? A sinner who's unworthy to stand before you. That's David's attitude right here. He even says so in verse Verses 2, in fact, he says that almost exactly. He says, God, be gracious to me. Have compassion on me. I'm weak and I'm feeble and I'm languishing. And David's crying plea here. It almost sounds to me like the same attitude that Paul has when what we studied earlier this year in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 and 18. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7. He says, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And in verse 18, Paul says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Further, David says, Hey, heal me, Lord. My bones are trembling. My bones are shaking because I know who you are, and I know who I am, and so I'm trembling before you. We don't know this specific situation that David finds himself in, but all of us, if we are believers of Jesus Christ, know exactly what David is feeling right here, don't we? It's the weight of our sinfulness. When we know that we are a sinner and God is holy, we understand the weight of our sinfulness. Realizing that we're sinners in the hands of an angry God, like Jonathan Edwards once famously put it, 
that we're all sinners that are held to God's standards of righteousness and that none of us can meet those standards apart from the goodness and the graciousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther once famously said, no one has not been profoundly ter- no one who has not been profoundly terrified and forsaken prays profoundly. David then summarizes verses 1 through 3 with this statement. He says, O Lord, how long? In other words, we can hear David's cry and plea here. He says, God, my only hope is you, and my only help is you. How long do I have to wait until you restore me in your presence? David's saying, I'm a sinner, and you are a good God. How long do I have to suffer in agony apart from you? We all know that there's types of faith that we cannot have except from times of trouble. Like we can't trust God with our life unless our life has ever been on the line, right? We can't trust God to provide unless we've ever been without and unable to provide, and we've seen God provide. And we can't fully trust and hope in God and that he's our only help if we've never been hopeless and helpless. And David is saying here, God, you are my only help and my only hope, and I know you are all I need. What a testimony is that? So then in verses 4, David says this, God, won't you return to me? Your absence is causing me to be miserable, and your presence, your return, will deliver me from my troubles. Won't you return and save me, deliver me, rescue me? I'm leaning on your unfailing love to return and rescue me. I wonder if any of you have ever been in that mindset. Like, hey, God, I tried to do this on my own, and everything has turned into be a world of hurt. Anybody else ever been there? Like, I tried to accomplish this on my own, and it just led to trouble. How would you forgive me and restore me to your presence and your faithful Hesed love? I think we can all give testimony to when we've tried to do it on our own apart from God, and everything has fallen apart. And we're like, here I am, O Lord. (laughs) I've done it once again. I tried to do it on my own, and it has not worked out. When will I learn to not do it on my own? I don't know if you've ever been there, but I tend to stay there, right? Anybody else? Is Is that your testimony? I tend to stay there. And that's David's plea right here. And I love David's honesty in verses 1 through 5. Hey, today, church, I just want to encourage you. If you're in a season or find yourself in a season in the future where you've tried to do it on your own and you've made a royal mess out of things and you've just gotten to the end of your rope, won't you just do what David does here? Run to the Lord and plead with him earnestly and honestly to restore you to his presence and deliver you from your sin with his unfailing love. Hey, it doesn't mean that there won't be consequences for our actions, right? But it means that God's character towards his children is that he cares for them and he loves them and he forgives them. Further, David says in verse 5, he says, God, remember me, restore me, forgive me, because I will be faithful to you. And if I die, I can't glorify you here on this earth. But while I'm here on this earth, I'm going to remember my purpose, and that's to glorify and magnify you. Hey, Christians, when we find ourselves facing adversity, let's admit our faults, seek the Lord, and glorify Him. Hey, let's continue in verses 6 through 7. It says this, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. 
I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of my grief. It grows weak because of all of my foes. David begins here in verses 6 through 7. And he says, without you, O Lord, I'm worn out and I'm weary. Like without you, God, I'm worn out and I'm weary. I wonder if y'all have ever been there. I know I have been. And David's pretty descriptive here. He says, apart from you, I'm worn out from moaning and crying my eyes out every single night. And my weeping and my tears are dominating my night hours. I'm supposed to be sleeping, but instead I'm crying. And so I'm restless and I'm uncontrollably weeping because of the torment of trying to do it on my own because my current situation is just wearing me out. Hey, hear me, church. When we try to, we tend to be worn out when we try to do things on our own apart from the Lord, don't we? Further, David says, my eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. In other words, I've sinned against you. I've tried to do it on my own. And now my enemies are so many that they're causing my eyes to grow weak and weary. Hey, Christian, there is torment when we try to go at our battles and in our lives apart from God. And David is illustrating this vividly for us here. He's saying apart from God... It leaves us hopeless and helpless and weak and surrounded by many enemies. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. Like maybe you didn't even realize you were going at it alone, but then you found yourself in a similar situation as David. Just hopeless and helpless, and you're like, God, I'm worn out and I'm weary. Hey, Christian, won't you cry out to God, just like David, and tell him your troubles? When I read this text... I thought of this old hymn that we sing sometimes, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It says this, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Won't you take your troubles to the Lord in prayer? Christians, I just want to be honest as well. If you're going through dark nights and deep valleys, it's good to know that you're not alone. Christians are not immune from dark nights and deep valleys. Hear me say that. I read this story one time about Charles Spurgeon. It says, on an unforgettable Sunday morning in 1866, the great Charles Spurgeon stunned his 5,000 listeners from the pulpit of London's Metropolitan Tabernacle when he announced, I am the subject of depressions of spirits so fearful that I hope that none of you ever get to the extremes of the wretchedness that I go to. Some of those who were listening to him, they couldn't even understand how the world's greatest preacher of their, of their day, of their time, could find himself in a valley of despair and depression. Yet 21 years later, in 1887, Charles Spurgeon said from the same pulpit, personally, I've often passed through those dark valleys. It's exhausting to be stretched and tested by God, even when we know it's for our good, like we see in James and like we've seen in 1 Peter. And I think many of us could echo what Charles Spurgeon has said. And this is David's confession. This is what he is saying in his prayer as well. Christian, I just want to say this. When we find ourselves in dark nights and deep valleys, it's important to remember that we're not alone. Others have struggled, even great preachers of the past. 
But we can run to God in prayer and we can ask him to hear our cries and to see our tears. But we can also run to other brothers and sisters in Christ to be ears to hear and shoulders to cry on. The point is, in our seasons of darkness and adversity, we should never feel like we are alone. We have God to go to cry out to in prayer, and we have other brothers and sisters in Christ to lean on their shoulders and to cry on. Hey, Christians, when we find ourselves facing adversity, let's ask God to hear our cries and to see our tears. Let's continue in verses 8 through 10 as we finish out this psalm. It says this, Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So verses 1 through 7, David is in this deep despair and adversity. And it's almost as in like, okay, verse 8 through 10, like he just does a complete mental 180. He's gone from being a victim to being a victor to having victory in God alone. And we can almost feel a change in David's tune here. He's got a new energy. He's got a new confidence. How? David says, depart from me, all you workers of evil, because the Lord has heard my weeping. See, David went to bed weeping over his sinfulness. He didn't wake up confident in himself, but he woke up confident in who God is, that God has heard his prayers. He says, God has heard my weeping. God has heard my pleas. God has accepted my prayers. So David goes and he says, get away from me, all you who are doing evil. David doesn't even want to be associated with his opponents in, in any way. It's almost as if he's withdrawing any hint of guilt from them. He doesn't want to be associated with those who are hated by God. When we talk about repentance. That's what we're talking about, turning away from evil. We don't want to be a part of it. That's exactly what David is doing here. David's taking a righteous stance by demanding that his enemies get away from him and depart and turn from him. See, David may have sinned. He may have been surrounded by his enemies and he suffered and much of it may have been his own fault. But instead of retaliating, instead of associating, he warned the evildoers and he gives testimony to the faithfulness of God. David says, the Lord has heard me. I can just imagine maybe some of those that were coming against David. I mean, these would have been people that would have been a part of his kingdom for a long time. And maybe some of his enemies now are saying, hey, you've already done this thing. Won't you continue in this darkness? Won't you continue doing these evil things? But David says, no, I won't continue. Depart from me. The Lord has heard me. And so he offers up this reason for his strong rejection and his firm confidence that the Lord hears his prayer and the Lord will deliver him. David says this in three ways. I love the way that he layers this and his confidence in the Lord. He says, the Lord has heard the sounds of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. And the Lord has accepted my prayers. See, David was greatly troubled in verse 3. But now he has become greatly troubled of his enemies in verse 10. David continues in verse 10 saying, all my enemies will be ashamed and greatly troubled. So David remembers in this moment of clarity and confidence that it's not him who fights his battles, but it is the Lord. 
See, the Lord is the one who is in charge of his enemies and of ours. See, the goal of our battle is of faithfulness to the Lord. But God's in charge of the battles against our enemies and his enemies. So David is able to turn to his enemies with confidence and say, you'll be shamed by being proven wrong for going against the Lord. I think it's fascinating here. I see David's demeanor change throughout these 10 verses. When he remembers that his confidence is not in himself or who he is. That his confidence is not in how he is portrayed or in what others think about him. But he remembers that his confidence fully rests in who God is and that he is a child of God. See, in verses 2 through 3, David was terrified to his bones. But then in verses 10, he says that his enemies will be greatly terrified and troubled because they have not turned from their wicked ways. In verse 4, David prayed to the Lord to turn and deliver him. And now David says in verse 10 that his enemies will either turn back or they'll be put to shame in a moment. In verse 3, David asked, How long, O Lord? And now he remembers that while God may delay, God has heard him all along. He's accepted his prayers and he responds in the perfect way at the perfect time. Oftentimes it seems like God has responded in a moment like we see in verse 10, but we look and we can see that God has been delaying to respond in the perfect way at the perfect time. Hey, I just want to ask you this today. I wonder if there's ever been a moment in your life in which you forgot who you are in God, that you are a child of God. See, we know this truth today and we can rest in this truth and confidence that we are children of God because we know this truth that God is holy. He's perfect. He created everything we can see and we can touch and we can feel and he cannot be associated with sin. God alone is good. But we also know from what David is saying and what he's experienced in verses 1 through 7 that none of us are perfect and that we each fall far short of God's perfection. Like We've all sinned. We've all done something wrong. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and we've all done something against God's law. We've all sinned. And in many ways, we've all been where David is, right? Feeling the weight of our sinfulness because our sin separates us from God in this life and in the next and therefore, we need help. We need someone to rescue us from our despair. So what hope is there for us in our separation from a holy God who is perfect and in our sin? Well, our hope is in Christ alone. See, because of our sinfulness, because of the sinfulness of humans and the holiness of God that separates us from him, we needed our sins forgiven. So how can we be back in a relationship with God? How can this occur? We know this truth. God loved us so much. And he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a baby, being fully God and fully man. And Jesus lived a fully perfect, sinless life here on this earth. But yet he went to the cross and he died for your sins and he died for my sins. And three days later, he defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. So that today, if we turn from our sins, if we believe in Jesus Christ and we follow him, then we will be saved from our sin that separates us from him. So today, maybe you're here and you just find yourself in the struggles that David finds himself in. With the weight of our sin crushing us and our enemies surrounding us. And when we find ourselves in those situations, we can do a complete 180 as well. How? Because we remember if we are a believer of Jesus Christ, then we've been called a child of God. And God will hear. God has heard. 
and God will accept our prayers. Hey, maybe today you are a believer and you just need to be reminded you are a child of God and have confidence in that. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know if I'm 100% sure that I am a child of God. I, I, I come to church sometimes, like I, I came to church when I was little, but maybe I don't know 100% that I am a child of God. Like I don't have this weight of my sinfulness or maybe like I am in dark days, but I'm without hope. I'm hopeless and helpless and I'm all alone. Can I just tell you today that that may be your present situation, but that doesn't have to be your future situation. See, Romans 10, 13 tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, I would love to help you call on the name of the Lord for salvation so that you're no longer separated from the God who created you and the God who loves you, but you can be back in a relationship with him and you don't have to be alone in your dark days. I think this psalm is fascinating. In verses 1 through 5, David brought his heartfelt, honest pleas before the Lord about his adversity. In verses 6 through 7, David asked God to hear his cries and see his tears. And then finally, in verses 8 through 10, David does a complete 180, and he remembers his victory in God alone. Hey, Christians, when we find ourselves facing adversity, let's admit our faults, seek the Lord, and glorify him. Christians, when we find ourselves facing adversity, let's ask God to hear our cries and to see our tears. And Christians, when we find ourselves facing adversity, let's remember that our victory is in Christ alone. That's what God's word has said. That's what God's word means. I wonder today how we might apply this to our lives. Today, I just have two short applications for us. The first is this. Even when God seems distant, we can be confident that God hears our prayers. In this psalm, David made it clear that he felt distant from God. He was troubled to the core of his body, to his bones. His soul was languished. He asked how long, O oh Lord, it would be until he was back right with God. However, it wasn't long before David began declaring confidently that the Lord had heard the sound of his weeping. He had heard his cries and the Lord had accepted his prayers. I think the temptation for us all, if we're being honest, is to say, well, that's good for David. He was a king of God's chosen people, so of course God heard his prayers. But what about me? Like, I'm a nobody. I'm not a king. I'm not a prominent person. I'm just a person who's in a deep valley and who's having dark nights, and God seems distant. How can I know that he hears my prayers? Well, because God says he does in his word. The verse we said before we begin our service today, as we begin our service from 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15 says this, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of them. We see it in 1 John. Jesus also said so in Luke 18, 1, where he told the people a parable in the effect that they ought to always pray and not to lose heart. He concluded that parable in Luke 18, 7 through 8, saying, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So yes, Jesus tells us we should persist in prayer. And we see in 1 John that God hears our prayers. Hear me, maybe there's something that you've prayed over for a really long time, for years. 
and you've lost heart. Or maybe you're thinking, oh Lord, how long will it take before you hear my prayers? Notice what we saw in verse 10 of our psalm. God doesn't answer his prayers immediately. God answers them, and when he does, he does it in a moment. So yes, we persist in our prayers because Jesus told us to, and we hold fast that God will, in his own timing, hear our prayers and answer them. It may not be in the way that we want. It may not be in the timeline that we think he should. But hear me, God hears our prayers. You say, Jonathan, how can you be so confident? Church, I just want to give testimony real quick. Last week, we ended our service with a prayer time. I just want to be transparent here. There was a specific burden that I knew that we had in our church family that God had broken my heart over. Something that you or I had zero control other other than to cry out to God and to ask him to intervene. And I won't share the details from the pulpit, but I want you to hear this. God answered those prayers this week. In church family, your prayers made a tangible difference in the lives of some of your church family this week. Can we be confident that God hears our prayers? Absolutely. How? Because God's word says so. And because I'll give testimony, I've seen it over and over and over and over again. And I know you can too as well. God hears the prayers of his children. So just like David, you and I can come to God and we can be honest. And we can trust that God will hear our prayers. So Christians, let's rest in the assurance that even when God seems distant, we can be confident that God hears our prayers as well. Second application is this. Even when we are in a mess, we can still run to God. In our psalm, David was in a hot mess, wasn't he? We don't fully know how he had messed up. We can make assumptions, but we know that he was in a big old mess, and he's pleading to God to be gracious and to not discipline him in his anger and to deliver him. Hey, Christian, today... Maybe you're here and you're just in a mess. Like maybe you find yourself distant from God because you've messed up. What's our reaction when we mess up? What's the first thing that we run to? Well, oftentimes our reaction is what? It's something, whatever we can do to bury ourselves in whatever it is that numbs our minds. So we don't have to think about it. For some of us, that's television. For some of us, that's social media. For some of us, it's work. For some of us, it may be abusing alcohol or drugs or even food. But whatever it is, the temptation is often to run to something that numbs our minds and our emotions when we are a mess so that we don't have to think about the mess that it is that surrounds us. However, what did we see David do in this psalm? David went before God. He laid himself out before the Lord in humble prayer. He said, God, I'm a mess. I've messed up. I did this. He takes all the responsibility for it. And he says, the only solution I have is you and your love. David's like, here I am again, O Lord. I've messed up. This is the king of Israel, but it's also a man who, if you'll remember, got with another man's wife. He got her pregnant. And then he had her husband killed. I mean, David has messed up in the past and he's presently messed up again. But David's response is this, repentance humility, and seeking the Lord. Hey, today, maybe you find yourself in a place where you've just messed up. 
Like you're not where you know you need to be and you're not doing what it is that you know you need to be doing. Today, I just want you to hear me say this. You've never messed up too far to turn back to God. God desires that we turn from our sin and return to him. God desires that we have a relationship with him. God desires that we would come back to him for forgiveness. So today, if you're just really messed in a messed up mentality, I've got good news for you. Our God is a mess cleaner upper. He did it with David. He did it with Peter. He did it with Paul. He did it with me, and he keeps on doing it with me. And I know we can give testimony that he does it for you, and he'll keep doing it for you. Maybe today you just need to come to this altar and cry out to God, Hey, God, I'm a wreck. Like, I'm a mess. I keep trying to fix things, but they keep just getting worse. So, God, I'm just coming to you and trusting you to forgive me and to fight my battles for me. Second Chronicles 7, 14, a well-known passage tells us, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Maybe you're here today and you just need to humble yourself. Say, I don't have it all together. I'm a mess, but I'm going to seek the Lord and I'm going to turn from this mess that I'm in. God says he'll hear you and he will forgive your sin. Hey, we've never messed up too far to turn back to God. Christian, today, even when we're in a mess, hear me, we can still run to God. Hey, today I shared at the beginning of our time that I believe that God through his word will show us how we can all go from being a victim of our circumstances to being a victim through seasons of adversity. I read this story this past week of a young woman who went to her mother and told her how hard things had gotten for her, that she just wanted to give up. And she was tired of fighting and she was tired of struggling and tired of the adversity. And it seemed like God just had it in for her. So her wise mother went and got three different pots filled with water and set them on the stove and brought them to a bowl. In the first pot, she placed carrots. The second pot, she placed eggs. And in the third pot, she placed coffee. She let them simmer, and 20 minutes later, she turned off the burners. She scooped out the carrots and placed them in a bowl, and she pulled out the eggs and placed them in another bowl, and then she poured the coffee in two cups. And she turned to her daughter, and she says, tell me what you see. And her daughter said, well, Mom, I see carrots, eggs, and coffee. What do you want me to say? Her mom said, we'll fill the carrots. And they were mushy. They were soft and mushy. Then her mother said, well, peel one of the eggs. Tell me what you feel. So her daughter tapped the egg on the counter, and it was hard-boiled. And finally, her mother smiled and handed her a cup of coffee. And the girl asked, what does all this mean, Mom? And her mom just smiled and looked at her and said, each of these objects have faced the same adversity, boiling water. However, each reacted differently. The carrot went in strong and hard, but it came out limp. The egg went in fragile and delicate, but it came out hard. And the coffee was different. The coffee came out and released its fragrant and fla- fragrance and flavor in the water. And her mother looked to her daughter and said, Which are you? When God brings adversity in your life, will you go limp like a carrot? Will you harden like an egg? Or will you release the fragrance of faith and glorify God? A Christian today, our circumstances may be boiling water, but when we remember who God is and that he hears our prayers and that we have victory in Jesus Christ alone, it doesn't have to harden us or soften us, but it can cause us to magnify and glorify God 
all the more. Our big idea for today is this. Regardless of our current circumstances, we can have victory in Jesus Christ and we can glorify him. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Hey, believer in this room, today, maybe you're just in a mess. You know you are and you're trying to pretend like you're not, but maybe you're just in a mess and you know it and God knows it. Would you just come to this altar and cry out to God? That's what this time is for. Nobody's watching you or judging you. Like We just need to meet with God. We all need to meet with God. So let's not waste this time. Even when we're a mess, we can still run to God. Hey, believer today, maybe you feel distant from God. Can you remember that even when we feel distant from God, we can be confident that God hears our prayers. So maybe today you just need to pray, hey God, I feel distant from you. Just be honest with them. God, would you hear my prayers? Would you hear my heart? Would you hear my hurt? Hey, maybe you're here today and you've never believed in the gospel. You don't know 100% that you are a child of God. I've shared the gospel already with you today. Today, if you don't have the confidence of salvation, would you call on the name of the Lord for salvation today? In a moment when we sing a song, that's the moment that you can come down front and I can help you walk through this. Maybe today you want to come down front and you want to place your membership uh, in this body of Christ. You want to come forward and say that. Maybe today you want to come forward and you say, I've never been biblically baptized. I want to be baptized. Whatever it is, in this moment, let's do business with the Lord. The altar is open. Let's do business with the Lord today. Hey, church, I love you so much.